You're listening to the David Bumble Networking Podcast. Very good day interviewing a lot of Cisco engineers. We discuss all things networking, CCNA, CCNP, CCIE, Python, automation, the books, the exams, the future, your career. Another long day at Cisco Live. We talk to the authors, the experts, the leaders, and people like you and me. David Bumble coming to you from Oxford in the United Kingdom. Now, here's your host, David Bumble. Hey everyone, David Bumble coming to you from Oxford in the United Kingdom. Once again, talking to Hank Preston in the States. Hank, welcome. Thanks, David. Always a pleasure. It's uh, It's been a few weeks, I think, since we've had a chance to do one of these. So I'm, I'm ready to jump back in. Great. Yeah, I mean, you've got to tell me because you've been to two conferences, Python-ish conferences, I would say, not exactly. But why don't you tell us about the conference that you went to last week? Sure. Um, so last week, it was actually um, mostly this past weekend, so just the, the couple of days ago, was the Global PyCon Conference, which is the Python conference that happens once a year um, globally. Python does regional conferences kind of all the time. But this was the, the big one where, where we had, I think they said, nearly 3,000 people um, all kind of came here to Cleveland, which is what made it easy for me to go. It was in my backyard. And so I spent the weekend kind of at the, the, the Python conference, which a bunch of other Python interested folks uh, from a variety of different disciplines and topic areas. So tell me, Hank, we were talking about this offline. Is this conference for network engineers or is this conference for developers? Like what's the focus? Yeah, it's it's a, actually a really interesting question. And I had uh, a local network engineer that I've been working with for years because um, he's a Cisco customer and I, I'd worked with him a bunch. And he sent me a note and he said, hey, do you think it's worth going? I, we're doing network automation in bits. And I, I gave him the same advice, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, it is a Python developers conference, right? It is focused on Python development topics. It's not focused on um, network automation. But that said, if you're doing network automation and you've been experimenting with Python and you're using uh, Python skill sets and libraries and you're, you're building, building on top of these pieces, there's a lot of value you can get um, for your own use cases from the different topics and sessions that you'll see at a conference like PyCon or the other developer conferences. What I generally recommend is if you are just getting started or you haven't done a lot with Python yet, you may feel um, really quite quite over your skis a bit in some of the sessions that are there. But if you've even been doing it for a little bit, let's say you started, you took a Python class, um, you've been experimenting on your own for the last couple of months, and you're just interested in, in Python in general, then yeah, I think it's it's open to anybody. Uh, a lot of the, the keynotes and topics that you hear from folks is how open and inclusive Python as a community and as a language is. Everybody's welcome. Um, the keynote was from, from folks from all over the, the spectrum of where folks come from and f have found Python to be a, a place where they can, they can um, blossom and find new career paths and new opportunities. And I think that the same holds true for network engineers. Um, it's, it's been good. Last year I went as well, because it was also here in Cleveland. This year was in Cleveland. I went back, it was super easy. And there was a uh, open space, which is this thing that I've, I've seen popping up at more and more conferences where anybody can um, put up on a board and say, hey, I'd like to get together and talk about this topic. And there's rooms set aside and time blocks. And there was a network automation focused open space. And so I sat, we got together for about an hour with 20 to 30 other network engineers, and we just kind of talked openly about what we're doing with network automation, challenges we've seen, um, the tools that we're using. 
Um, lots of suggestions for tools that some of us had never heard about before, um, resources to check out. And so, yeah, I think that the, um, the conference is great for anybody that's out there. And if you've got a local regional Python conference, go check those out as well. Um, just recognize that you may run into a topic that, that, doesn't, um, that you don't fully follow. I was talking to my wife, at, I was in one session and it was really interesting for the first 20 minutes and then it got pretty advanced and it was way over my head. And I was chatting with my wife and I said, yeah, it's, it's a bit over my, my head here. It's, it's more advanced than I'm ready for. And she's like, that doesn't happen very often. It's like, well, it's a different kind of conference. I'm here as a, as a novice, somebody to learn some new things. Novice. And so, <laughs> yeah, I know we're all novices as it goes to different topics. Nobody can be an expert at everything. And I think that's the biggest one to keep in mind when you approach these different types of conferences is that it's an opportunity to really kind of learn and become exposed to things you've never seen before and talk to folks that are solving different kinds of challenges. So long answer to a short question, I guess. I'm glad you said that because, I mean, I, a few things that I thought about when we spoke before this call and, and as you're explaining it now is, number one, you've answered the question, I think, would you recommend that a network automation person or someone interested in network automation go? And if I understood right, you're saying if you're very new to it, perhaps not, but as soon as you can, you know, have a look at it because it can increase your skills. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Like if you're you're thinking about getting involved in, in Python, maybe maybe not quite yet. But if you've done anything with it, right? You've taken a class, you've you've watched some of our videos, um, you've written a script with NetMiko to go program something. You'll find something there um, to go through and, and become part of the community and and hear from other folks that are just getting started with different areas. So. So this is another nasty question, Hank. I like to put you on the spot, but it's just to get your sure. opinion because you know you get mm -hmm. a lot of feedback and you talk to a lot of people. Are network engineers that are getting into network automation, and I mean, mm -hmm. whatever term you want to call it, net DevOps engineers, are they programmers or do you see it as separate roles? So do we have like programmers and do we have network engineer, network automation people, and there's a split or do you see that becoming the same thing you know what, what's your take on that because i feel some people feel and i don't I, I don't want to use you know the wrong term but some people perhaps as network engineers feel they're not good enough perhaps to be classified as a programmer or something yeah it's it's an important question that that comes up more and more often um in just day-to-day -day work discussions i have with folks and, and even folks that i conversations i have inside cisco with other members of devnet in the field that's there my personal belief is that every network engineer who's experimenting with with automation and diving into Python and learning about APIs, um, we are developers, right? We're, we're developers. If you want to add adjectives or descriptives in there to say that you are a network automation developer or an infrastructure developer, I'm okay with that. What, do, what I don't like is when folks try to step back and say, no, I'm, I'm not really a developer, I just do network automation. I think that's selling ourselves short. Um, every software developer that's out there um, will, will goes through those same pieces, that they are developers that build web pages. I'm not a real developer, I just do web design. Or I'm not a real developer, I just do uh, database work. Um, and I think that that sells all of us short. We're all in it to, to do the same basic types of pieces. Our domain of problems that we're solving might be different, right? For us, it's it's network configurations or infrastructure management. And for somebody else, maybe it's a, it's a mobile application and somebody else, it's, it's a web page. 
But we're all using um, algorithms and software tools and, and Python programming languages, or maybe Go or one of the other languages that are out there to solve problems and, and go through and build applications. That's the other one that, that pops up as well. I'm, I don't build apps. I just build scripts. Yeah. I think there's a, a fuzzy line that goes in there. Um, and I don't want anybody to be, feel like they, they don't belong because they're just doing network engineering or automation. Um, we're all developers, right? We're all on a journey. And if whether you've gone to comp, you came out of school with a comp sci degree or you're just getting into it from scratch now because you're kind of seeing how it fits in, we're all on that same journey. And I think we all count as developers as we go through. We just are developing different pieces. Um, at the conference this weekend, I went and I sat in a session where the, the presenter comes out of the, um, the, uh, the manufacturing world, right? PLC yeah. manipulation, robotics, uh, traffic lights, and all of those pieces. And he was showing how, he, how you could use Python to interface with all these different devices. And he had this great demo where he was controlling and changing um, traffic light timing for different reasons and going through and seeing how it goes through. But his presentation started with what's called, I'd never heard of it before, but ladder logic. And it's how these um, PLC, these uh, programmable logic controllers that control machinery and lights and, and all these pieces work and they travel through. And he didn't say it, but I could, I could definitely see folks that do that being like, well, I'm not a real programmer. I just, I just work in ladder logic, programming how like uh, factories function. Well, that's programming too, right? Making making somebody feel like they don't belong because they don't do the right kind of programming seems silly, right? We're all doing the same stuff. And so absolutely, I think we all earn and deserve the, 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 the title of developer. We're just developing different types of um, solutions. You think this is a bit of imposter syndrome because like a lot of people who are like <laughs> new in networking will say, oh, I'm not a good network engineer because I haven't got like five CCIEs. Mm -hmm. I, I, absolutely. I mean, it, it's funny. Imposter syndrome seems to be something that's coming up all over the place lately with different folks talking about it from Brian over at INE um, to, to myself. I talk about it with a lot of folks all the time is, is I joke. I'm not I'm not an expert in anything. I just play one on YouTube. Right. <laughs> is really what it comes down to. Um, I constantly don't feel like like I know enough or talk to folks and I'm like, man, I just, somebody's going to figure it out at some point that Hank's just making it up as he goes and preparing for like 20 minutes and then makes it look really good. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> we know that's and not I true. Think we, <laughs> and sometimes it's true. It's more true than it is. Um, but I think we all feel that. And, and that whole concept of I'm not a real developer fits right back into it. We, we feel like we don't belong in this community that we're just coming at it. And um and network engineers, I think everybody does, but but speaking as a network engineer, we always want to feel like we know the answer, that, that we are the experts that are there. Um, and it's okay not to. It's, it's, it's exciting sometimes to be starting over and learning something new as it goes in. Um, and just because you may not be the equivalent of the CCIE for network automation at this point, doesn't mean that you don't have something valuable to offer back to the community. Um, we're all solving interesting bits that are out there. And I think that everybody will will always have that sense of i'm not good enough but in general we all are definitely good enough um and it's it's that imposter syndrome thing is something we always have to fight it's amazing like that someone like brian at ine can even i mean he told me on a call the other day the same thing you know he, he has imposter syndrome it's like how can you have that you've got multiple ccies you've got all these other certifications you're like one of the top guys how could you have that um, but he has that, you have that, 
Chuck Black, a friend of mine, you know, he's got almost 40 years of development experience and he will often say, look, I don't know. I mean, if people like that and like you, Hank, don't know, then I think for the rest of us, it's like, don't worry if you don't know, it's a journey. Absolutely. It's it's so easy to focus on, especially internally, what you don't have um, and, and put less weight on the things that you have and more weight and importance on the things that you don't have. But everybody has their own um, set of experiences and skill sets and things that they've learned. And you can learn from other folks. Um, I talk with, with guys all the time and I'm like, that's awesome. I have You are way better at that than I am. Teach me, help me understand. Um, and trying to open myself up to be, to be willing to kind of not, not self-deprecating that I don't know it, but willing to like learn and, and then give back with the things that I do understand and the, the pieces that are there. And I think that's what makes the community stronger is as we all share and kind of lift ourselves up as a group. Um, if you're on a team of network engineers at your organization or if you're in a study group, um, you'll you'll be stronger if you pool your resources together rather than kind of hoard in the corner, afraid that somebody's going to find out that you don't know the answer to that one acronym that came out in the meeting. That's my latest thing now is whenever I hear an acronym, I, I cringe if somebody doesn't immediately define what it is because I know there's somebody in the audience that has no idea what those letters stand for. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few good lessons there. It's like, number one, don't be shy to ask a question because you can't know everything. And number two, don't be shy to share, even if, you know, what you think is not really that relevant, because sharing is caring, as some people would say. You know, if you share your experiences, then I can learn something from you and you can learn from me. So as a community, you know, I find it very frustrating when people talk down to others or, you know, deride what other people have done. Rather be positive and contribute, because if we do that, we'll all do better. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's expertise and knowledge is not a zero-sum game. No. If you help somebody out learn something, it doesn't take it away from you. Um, and there's, there's so many examples of that that have gone over. Is that if, if My favorite one around, around jobs is that if you hoard all your job knowledge, so you're the only one that can do your job, then you're also, you'll never have an opportunity to do a different job if you want to be promoted or you want to change out. Because if your organization says, well, Hank's the only person that could possibly do this, uh, we can't have him go do this other interesting project because he has to do this one thing. Um, I would much rather have, be in a place where where other folks can, can kind of backfill and understand so I can change ideas that other people can grow and go through. Um, you should always be kind of, especially if you're in if you're in a career and you're trying to move ahead. An interesting idea is we'll always be training the people that could help replace you. Um, and even if it's not because you want a promotion, maybe it's just because you want a vacation. Right? You want to take a couple of days off. Um, it's important that other people know know how to do the things that you know how to do. Yeah, I mean it's such it's so true today. I mean in today's world, that you know that whole thing of hoarding knowledge is is gone. YouTube. Um, just the internet in general has made it so easy to share knowledge and to learn. Um, so, I mean, it's really it's really nice to see how things have developed. But Hank, I'm taking you away from what we originally were going to talk about. But it's I think it's, it's an important conversation and just an encouragement to everyone. You know, just keep on learning. Um, you know, you've been doing this for a long time and you always telling me, you know, I'm learning something new now. I mean, you only learn about Genie the other day and you were sharing that. But I mean, that's a great example. You, with all your experience, picked up something new and then what did you do? A week later, you were sharing it with everyone else. I think that's a great example. 
No, absolutely. I, I'm working on something new um, for some projects at work right now, and I'm already looking ahead to once I have a good handle on it, how I can kind of make it easier for other folks to, to pick that up and, and learn themselves, whether it's videos or blog posts or whatever they go through. I think that's just, and not, not everybody, and I want to make sure that I'm, I'm clear, I don't think everybody has the, the requirement that if you learn something that everybody needs to go out and blog and do videos and do these pieces. But if you have someone else on your team or you hear somebody else is struggling with it, right? Share the knowledge, right? There's, it feels good to help other people learn something new as it goes in. And there's different ways to do it. There's all sorts of different ways. So that gets us nicely to our topic, Hank, because we were going to talk and hopefully going to talk about, you know, some of the utilities or libraries, I think is the right term, that network engineers can use. And a lot of these libraries are open source or code that people have made freely available, I think. So, you know, can you tell us and, you know, just correct me with the right term, you know, what are these sort of useful libraries that network engineers can leverage? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that that's, that's the bit that's out there is that it's really important to recognize that you don't have to um, write every bit of code yourself. And that's a big part of what Python in general, but you'll see the same thing in other programming languages, is that there, there's always somebody else that's kind of tried to tackle similar problems that you have. And so that if you can figure out good ways to, um, to, to find those libraries that can help make it easier, it goes through. And I think that the, the right term becomes libraries and packages and modules and all these different things that are there. And there are ones that can help you with, with manipulating and working with data. There's ones that can help you work and connect into devices. There's, there's all these things that become easier and make it go through. Um, and I figure we just we tackle a couple of different ones that are out there. So, so as I was saying, David, we've got different Python libraries that can make working with um, XML-based data or JSON-based data or uh, easier. We've got libraries that you can use to interface with the, the CLI. And we've talked a lot about things like NetMiko in the past. We've got libraries that'll let you jump into um, the newer interfaces like NetConf and RESTConf. And then there's the the libraries that kind of build on top of all of those for different pieces. So is there is there a particular one we want to start with? What what topic seems like an interesting place to, to dive into to get going with? Yeah, I think let's start with some kind of tech stuff. So if you've got CSV mm -hmm. or JSON or XML, sure. because I think a lot of guys will, for instance, connect to devices, um, but then they need a way to store device information or even pull back that information and store it somewhere. So do you have some libraries that can work with, you know, storing data in some kind of format. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's talk about CSVs because that's a common one to go through is because uh, network engineers often have big spreadsheets full of information and then we want to kind of process that data in some fashion or for fashion that it goes in. So I'm going to go into um, my data manipulation and then CSV directory. So you just in a terminal on your Mac? Um, I am. That's yep. all you're doing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so we've got over here. And so what we've got is we can see that I've got a, um, a CSV file here called CSV example. And so let me go ahead and open that file up so we can actually see what's in it. So it's right here. So it's a fairly straightforward and simple one, right? It's a list of routers, IP addresses, and locations. And so our challenge or what we want to do inside of our code is to figure out how can I get access to that information so that I can, I can take advantage of it. And so for today's demonstration or the, the bit we're going to go through is I'm actually going to jump into an interactive Python interpreter. 
And so one of the things I like about Python is that you can write scripts and you can execute them, but you can also just work with Python kind of interactively, almost like a, a, a CLI, right? We type a command and then it's gonna do whatever we ask it to do as it comes out. And just and for so people who haven't seen our previous videos, sorry, Hank, Atom is like a editor. Uh, could oh, you just yeah. tell us what Atom is and then tell us a like, quick overview of what IPython is, just for people who haven't watched sure. previous videos? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you're working with, with code or development or, or anything, you need some, some program that you're going to use to edit the code. And so Atom is a code editor. Sometimes they're called IDEs, Integrated Development Environments. And IDEs generally include things like text editing, but also kind of um, developer tools, things like color coding for syntax, um, integrations to things like Git and GitHub, uh, maybe ways to do automatic packaging and bits. Like there's all these extra features that get baked into the, the core element, which is just text editing for the code that goes in. Um, Atom happens to be my tool of choice these days, um, but there are tons of other IDEs and code editors you can use. Um, VS Code is a very popular one for Microsoft. PyCharm is another one um, focused on Python development. Um, Sublime. Um, there's tons of different types of IDEs and, and code editors, and Atom's the one that I, I use these days. And then over here, I'm in a just a, a bash. I started out in a bash shell, which is just a, a terminal here on my Mac. And then I started IPython, which is an interactive um, Python interpreter. And so it, it, as opposed to going into IPython, I could just type Python, which launches Python as it goes through. And, and these three um, uh, greater than symbols are kind of the, the Python prompt that shows I'm in kind of an interactive Python. I could type Python commands, it'll execute them as they go through, and I can kind of work line by line rather than writing a whole script and then running it. Um, IPython does the same thing, but it's kind of, it offers other features, a little bit of um, code completion, there's some introspection, kind of questions you can ask, and it's just, if you're gonna be doing a lot of kind of um, interactive Python, IPython kind of offers some, some advanced things that just make it a bit easier to work with. Um, and so that's what I'm using over here on the side is IPython to interact with. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's great. I mean, IPython is, is fantastic. And just for everyone's benefit, I mean, this stuff, a lot of it's free, so you can just yeah. download it. That's great, yeah, sorry absolutely. to interrupt. Go on, Hank, sorry. No, no, not at all. Um, so I'm, I'm inside Python, I've started it up as it goes through. And so what we need is we need a library that understands how to read in and manipulate and work with uh, comma-separated values, CSVs. And luckily, there's one built right into Python called CSV. Um, it's what's considered kind of a core Python library. It, uh, it isn't something that you have to pip install, it's just there. And so I can import CSV, and so now I have the CSV library accessible to me. Um, and a couple other bits of, if when you're working in IPython, there's some, or when you're working in interactive Python, there's some things that are handy. Um, the dir command, right? We're used to dir for directory. It kind of does the same thing in Python where it just lists out what's available to you or what's, what's part of the object if you give it a parameter. And so if I type dir now, you can see it lists out all of the things that are currently accessible, the variables that have been created, the methods that are there. There's a bunch of these um, internal or private pieces, which are where all these like uh, underscores and things come through. But down here at the bottom, you can see that CSV is now available for me, as is exit or git ipython or quit. So there's not a whole lot in there other than just um, ways to get out of ipython, but I now have CSV, which lets me go ahead and kind of work and manipulate. 
if I do dir and I give it the CSV, oops, CSV, now it looks inside the CSV module to show me everything that the CSV module kind of offers me. Because that's what, when you import a module, that's what you're doing is you're bringing in somebody else's code that you want to leverage and take advantage of. And so all of these bits, and I'm just gonna scroll up a little bit, all of these bits show us um, what the CSV module has. So it has something called dict reader, which lets you read something like a dictionary. Um, there are some static pieces in here around how quoting might happen inside CSVs. There's something that relates specifically to Excel. Um, there's a reader object to read in CSV. So there's all of these different bits that you can use. And so whenever you import a module, um, this is the kind of stuff you get is you get all of these different um, variables and functions and, and potentially uh, constant things um, uh, and constants are um, they're like variables, but the idea behind a constant is it's something that's it's a value that's set that isn't going to change. And it's something that would kind of you can reference with a name rather than having to know what the number for something what the value specifically is. And so with CSV imported, now what I need to do is, is use it against my CSV file. And so I'm gonna start out by giving myself, um, creating a new variable called CSV file. And this is just gonna be the name of my CSV file. So I'll say CSV example.csv. <clears throat> and so now I have a new variable called CSV file, and it just is the value that's there. And so now I don't have to type CSV underscore example.csv all the time. I could just use the, uh, the reference point that's there. Now, the first thing I wanna do is see, can I open up the raw CSV file that's there? And you open up files with um, the built-in function uh, open that's just built into Python that's there. And so I can go ahead and say, I wanna say CSV, uh, we'll just call it data equals, open and then I have to give it the name of the file I want to open so CSV file and so now if I check the type of this and so type is a built-in Python function and I can say CS, oops, CSV data and you'll see that it's what's this this function or uh, this type called text IO wrapper and so this is built into Python and it says okay we've got a, a, a an ability to read and write input output some text now what I can do on that is I can actually read it. And so if I do CSV and then just say read, oops, sorry, CSV, what did I call it? Uh, data dot read. And this'll read in everything that's in that file. And in this case, it should just print it out to the screen. And we can see right here, it did indeed do that. And so it shows my CSV file. Now, what's interesting here is it shows it all, but it shows it kind of on a single line. It didn't print it out. It just kind of shows it there. So we can see router one, and there's the comma. We can see the IP address. We can see New York. And then this slash N is a new line character. And so if I were to have printed this out, that would actually show up on a new line as it goes through. Um, but because it's just showing a single line string, it kind of keeps going with router two and so on as it goes in. And so the first step is, is can we get that CSV data into our file? And we've seen, yep, indeed we can. Um, I'll pause for a second, because David, you're always good about asking really questions that I, I may have skimmed over. Does that make sense? Yeah, so all you did was import the CSV, sorry, you imported CSV into Python that gave you the ability to manipulate CSV files. Then you created a variable, um, and then you opened the file, and then you basically read it. And that was it, basically, a few steps. 
Exactly. Yep. So I'm going to go ahead and, and we'll, we'll rerun through those, right? Just so we can see them. Cause I knew I threw a bunch of extra stuff in there. So I'm going to just close the, the text wrapper. Cause we had, at that point we had an open file. So I wanted to close it out. So it was clean. And so we started out with, again, as she said, import CSV. And so now I've got the CSV library. I'm going to create a variable just to hold the name of the CSV file. So CSV, I think I called it file equals CSV and uh, underscore example uh, dot CSV. And now I have that piece. And then what I want to do is open up that file. So CSV and we'll call it data equals and then use the open function CSV file. So now I have an open file and I can read it. And this time I'll use print so that I'll actually print on multiple lines. I can say print CSV data dot, oops, dot read. And now it printed out. And because I gave it the print function, Python actually processed all those new line characters and printed them out. So now we can see here, here's the file. So I was able to open up that file with simply, uh, what is it, one, two, three, three lines of code to open the CSV file. And then I went ahead and used a fourth line of code to print out the contents that's there. That's great. Cool. So then what I could do is, uh, sorry, I don't want to jump ahead. I'm, but I mean, as a network engineer, you could split that text based on the comma or something, get the IP oh. address and telnet to or SSH to a router or something. Is that right? Absolutely. And, and so you're getting into those areas. So we've got the CSV data. We know that we can read it. So the question is, what do I do with it? And, and splitting is a, a string function inside of Python that lets you do kind of what it says, is it would take a string and then split it up. Um, and create what would be called a, a list inside of Python. And so we could split on commas, right? And say, okay, that would then give me the ability to see like the first index in a list might be the router name, then the IP address would be the second index, which is one, because we index from zero, and then index the third index, which is two, would be the city. Um, and splitting would function, but we would still have all of these, these extra quotes, right, around the data that's there we'd have to deal with. And this is where libraries like the CSV library come in, because they, the, the CSV library has all the knowledge about how to deal with different types of uh, quoting that might be around data. Um, understands that the comma may not be always used to separate values. We typically call them CSVs, but sometimes a CSV file might be delimited, right? The, the things that break up the different um, fields could be something other than a comma. It could be white space. It could be a space. It could be a tab. Uh, it could be a pipe. Um, and so the CSV library has all of this kind of knowledge on how to deal with that built into it so that you can just use the CSV library for it. And so let's see how that, that library actually works. So I'm going to close my file again, data.close, because we don't want to leave an open file just kind of hanging around. And there, there are easier ways to do the opening and closing that we're going to look at as well um, so that you don't have to always remember to specifically close them out. And so what I'm going to do this time is I'm going to say, let's go ahead and I'm, I'm looking at my notes a little bit to plan ahead a little bit. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go through and we're going to say, OK, um, I'm going to use one of those tricks for opening and closing files first. So I'm going to say with, uh, you know, in this example, I'm not going to. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to do it this time. We'll do it the next time we run through it. Um, so I'm going to say, okay, I want to create what I'm going to call the um, the CSV file object, and I'm going to, and so this is going to be similar to that data one, but I'm going to, I'm calling it different because we're going to be working with it a bit different. So I'm going to say CSV file equals open. Oops. Oh wait, I already used CSV file for the name of the file. I'm call it CSV open. So the live demos. 
and we'll yeah, say open CSV. Shows file. that it shows everyone that you're not perfect, Hank. That you're just human. Yeah. You're just a human like all of us. Absolutely. So I've now got here we've got this new variable called CSV open, and it is the opened up version of the file. So I've reopened it and I'm I'm back at the start of it. I've got access to that file again. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a new um, variable called CSV and I'm going to call it CSV Python because this is going to give me access to using that CSV library to process this file that's open. And so I'm going to use the CSV. I've realized that. So this time I'm doing CSV dot. And so the, the key here is when I was doing CSV underscore, I was creating like a name. The underscore is just like a, a string character to, in, to go through. This time I'm saying CSV dot because I'm accessing that CSV library that we imported. Remember up here, we've got import CSV. And so I'm using the dot to access, um, in this case, a, a function, a method called a reader. And what I'm gonna do is the CSV reader knows how to read in um, a text file that is a CSV, and then rather than you having to manually split it and, and deal with the quotes, the CSV reader will do all of that for you. And what you do is you give it an, an open file, and our open file this time again is CSV underscore open. And so now CSV Python represents um, a CSV reader object. And if I do type, and again, type is just a way to kind of ask Python, what type of object are we working with? So CSV Python, and you'll see it is of a type CSV reader. So in this case, again, I can now read this file that's there. Now CSV files are um, like spreadsheets, right? So they have rows and they have columns. And so what you normally want to do when you're inside of a, um, a table is you kind of or inside of a file like this you want to do some option or some action for every row that's in that file that's there and so if we look up here at the top we've got three rows row one was for router one row two is for router two row three is for router three and so what we'll do here is we're going to say for every row we're going to go ahead and just kind of access and print out some information about these different devices that are there and so i'm going to use um, the python for loop construct so that we can process each one of these rows. And so I'm going to say for row in CSV Python. Now, when you do a for loop, um, you have to you have to print out everything you want to do inside that loop before it processes. So when I hit enter this time, you'll see that IPython changes the prompt. It doesn't go to line 19. It actually I'm still part of line 18. And it indented for me because when you do um, any kind of blocks of code inside of Python, indenting is how, or indenting is how you actually uh, tell Python where you're working, where the, and when you're done. And so what I say in here is I want to for every row, I want to print out some information. So I'm going to say print, and I'm going to just print a string that describes the device that's out there. So I'm going to say print, and we'll say, um, uh, we'll first say the device, and so I'm going to use what's called. Um, uh, string formatting functions here. So I'm going to put little variable placeholders inside of the string. So I'm going to say the device is in, and then I'm going to say the location and has IP, and then we'll give it the IP address, right? And then period. And so what I want to print out is I want to print this bit of information. I want to print what the device's name is, and then what its location is, and then what its IP address is. And I'm going to pause before I go in and say how we fill that information in. Uh, David, any questions on kind of how this goes through? I know um, this is this may, may be something that folks that haven't seen before with the, the printing functions here. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, it's just like, how, do you, how does it know? And I'm assuming you're going to show us, how does it know that, like you've got it, I think you did a great example here because um, you've got location in the second position, whereas in your file, it's in the third position. So how, do it, how does it know what goes where? Yep. And then that's what we're going to dive into. So what we've created here is, is this piece from the, the open quote to the close quote, this entire piece is a Python string. And what we've done is we've inserted what, what I like to call these little placeholders using the single curly brace. And then between the curly braces, I gave it like a, a name for those placeholders so that I can target them. And what I want to do is I want to use the format function, which I spell it right, which is built into strings. Like every string has the ability to be formatted with lots of different things that go through. But one of the things we can do with format is we can now say, okay, place things into those placeholders that are there. Now I've opened, I've done an open parenthesis here because I have to send in the details for each of those placeholders, um, but my line's getting kind of long. So I'm just going to hit the enter key because I can go ahead and just wrap. I'm still on the same print function, the same line. I'm just doing this for readability. And so now what we do is, okay, so I've got three placeholders. The first placeholder is called device. And so I say device equals, and I need to tell Python, or specifically, I need to tell this string, what do I want to put into the place of the device? Well, I want to pull information out of the row that's there. So I can say row, and in this case, row references this active row that we're currently looping over. And so I'm gonna say row, and I need to tell it which part of the row, which column inside the row. And we'll do this in this case using just the, um, the column indexes. And as I mentioned, or hopefully if, if anybody watching the video has done Python before, you're used to the concept of index by zero. So the first column is gonna be indexed. This is column zero. The second column is column one. In programming, typically we start counting from zero. And so the device is index zero. All right, so this will say, okay, go for the active row grab the first column and put that wherever where the device placeholder is. Okay, and then I'll hit the enter key again and say, okay, for the second column, which is location equals row. And this time I have to give it the third column, which is going to be index two, right? Because we count from zero. And then we do this last one, we'll say IP equals row. And this one is the second column, which is index one. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that would all be on one line um, if you topped it out, but you just placed it like this because to make it easier to read, is that right? Exactly, yeah. Function Functionally, everything that's there from the print statement to where the cursor is, is all one Python line. All the wrapping is done for readability. And when you write Python code, there's places you can wrap um, and inside of functions is or inside of these, like uh, the parameters for a function is an easy place to kind of break stuff up. Now I've given all three of the bits, and so I have to close the parenthesis. And this is one of the things I like about IPython is you'll notice as I put the close parenthesis in, it actually highlights both of them. So I can see which one am I currently closing. Makes it easy to kind of follow along with where we're at. And so that one, we see we've closed the format one, but when I hit enter one more time, we're still inside the print one. So I need another parenthesis to close the print bit. And so now actually from here, this ending parenthesis all the way up to the beginning here. That's all one line because we're going to print out some details about this device. And then I hit enter again. And now inside IPython, the way that I say I'm done with this loop is I just give it a blank line. And so I go ahead and hit one final enter and it processes this entire for loop. 
And so now we can see where it went ahead and said router one is in New York and has an IP address of that. And we can go ahead and compare it to our notes over here on the side. Router two is in Denver, router three is in Austin. And so we've been able to access those. And notice all the, the quotes that were around it, right? We had double quotes around each of these values before. The CSV library kind of saw those and said, okay, the, the quotes aren't part of the value. They're there to kind of isolate the value. So those get stripped out automatically. I didn't have to write code to clean all that stuff up. Make sense? Yeah, that makes it so much easier. It's really nice to see that. Absolutely. And so that's that's an easy way to kind of get into, into CSV files. And the code itself is is really quite small. Now, the, I'll be honest, right? I'm pretty good at coding, but I, I have been looking off here at another screen because all of those pieces that are there, the entire kind of function that was kind of built in, let me see if I can, I can't hide that. I'll just delete it. We've got this big comment at the top of the code example, but I'll get rid of that for now. But right here, this is kind of everything that we just ran through, but shown kind of in a Python script. So remember we opened, we imported in the CSV file, and then um, we'll talk a bit about with here in a second, but this is where we actually just open up and we print out the content of the CSV file, just the raw content, we saw that. And then this block here is what we actually, oops, what we actually just ran, where we, oh, we created our CSV reader object, we looped over the rows that were there, and then printed them out. And so I am, we will, since it's here, I definitely want to talk about the, what this with block does for us. Um, but before I jump into that, any questions on kind of the, the CSV bits or the looping clarifications? No, I think that's great. I mean, it, it makes it so much easier than trying to do splitting, like you said, because it's all mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think if Absolutely. you can explain with, and then the next big question is how do we write to the file? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so we'll go ahead and say, okay, so what I need to do is remember way up here on, on, um, on 15, we opened up the file and then the CSV reader object has been using it. But all along, that file is still open. And I think that I can actually find, um, let me see, dir CSV open. I think there's a way to actually ask it if it's still open, let me see. It might be in there someplace, but I'm not, oh no, there's closed. So I can ask it if it's closed. So if I do CSV uh, open, I think if I do dot closed, no, oh, it's a Boolean object, there we go. So I asked, hey, csv.open.closed, this is a way to say, hey, is this file open or closed right now? Right? The closed value is false, which means the file's still open. And so I got inside of my Python um, code right now an open file. And, and hopefully everybody's been doing computers long enough to recognize that having an open file, like you want to close them correctly, otherwise files can be corrupted. And so if I do csv uh, open.close, and in this case, it's a it's a function, right? We want to run the close function. Now, if I rerun dot closed, we'll see true. So I've closed the file successfully as it was out there. Now, one of the things, or a very common thing to do, is actually to forget to close things, right? Files are an easy, obvious option, right? I could have just exited out of IPython, and that file would have been left open, and then eventually the operating system would figure something out, and it would close it and go through. But there's the potential that it wouldn't have been closed successfully. Text files are pretty safe, but other types of files can be very risky to not close correctly. And this is where the with um, statement inside Python comes through. The with statement is something that's called a context handler inside of Python. And what it says is, okay, we're going to, um, the context handler actually handles all this cleanup stuff, things like closing files on your behalf. 
And so when you have an object like a file object that has this context concept built in where before when you're done with something, you need to close it. Um, the, with, the with function can come in really handy. So what we can do here is I can say, okay, with open this CS, this file, and then in this case, this as F, this is creating a variable called F that is the open file. And then this in everything that's then part of the the with block and when we say part of the with block it's whatever's indented under the with block so in this first example it's just this print statement it's going to have that file be open but as soon as the with block is done and the indenting returns back to the left it automatically closes that file for us and so i don't have to remember as a programmer to write in this case, because it was called f was the variable, I didn't have to remember to write f dot close open close parentheses. Um, Python does that for me automatically. It's kind of like a um, it's pre planning. I always like to think of the with blocks as pre planning to properly close something, um, so I don't have to explicitly do it. Yeah, it makes it so much easier. It does, yeah. In the second example, we're with open again. And then everything here from line 13 to 23 is all indented under the with block. And so it's all part of the context handler. And once, if we had anything after line 23, Python automatically would close and then process those other pieces. In our case, line 23 kind of ends the program. And so when Python is done running this, this program or this script, it automatically closes that file for us. So we don't have to remember to do it. And that's what the with block. If you've seen this before, you've probably seen it with files, but you'll also see this in things like um, uh, NetMiko examples often have the with key keyword because files aren't the only things that can be left open, right? We can mistakenly leave open a, VT, a VTY line to a device, a Telnet or an SSH connection. And I, I imagine everybody that's listening to this has probably gotten to a point where you've mistakenly like filled all of your VTY lines because you had all of these hung uh, sessions that are out there and you've got to figure out a way to get in and clear them. And so when you use the with context handler with something like NetMiko, when that with block is done, it doesn't close a file. What it does is it runs the close connection to, to exit out of that Telnet or that SSH session that's been being used to interface with that device. And so this with block comes up all the time for different types of use cases. I'm glad you used that example with NetMiko because that's true. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly. All right. So for the writing, um, I don't actually have a cheat sheet for this one, but we can talk through it. It's actually not too bad. So let's let's. Sorry, Hank. I always let's... put you on the spot. Oh no, it's a it's a great example, and actually we can reverse engineer a, a writing example pretty easily. I think. So let's say that we create a list. So um, this time I'm gonna, and I'm gonna go back and forth here between uh, the text editor and the IPython to prep. And so this time I'm gonna go ahead and I'm just gonna grab this with block again, cause I'm gonna use that. And I'm gonna say, let me create a new file here. This is a great example of what you should do in code. You should learn to copy other code, obviously legally, yeah. but if it's open source code, copy it and yeah. use it. Absolutely. So what I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna, um, exactly like we did before, I'm gonna open up that CSV file, I'm going to create a reader object, and then I'm gonna say for row, go through here. Um, in this case, rather than print the data out, what I actually wanna do is I wanna create a, a list of, of the pieces that are there. And, and there are actually a variety of ways you could do this with the CSV reader, but I'm gonna show um, kind of a, a more explicit way of using the, 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 um, the reader object that's there. So I'm gonna create, something that's we're going to call this, uh, we'll call it the devices list, devices list. 
and I'm going to start out by creating an empty list. And so here in Python, I've got, I'll have a, a new variable called devices list, and it will be an empty list. And then what I want to do is for every row inside of the CSV Python, rather than print things out, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a new device um, entry for here. So I'm going to say device, uh, we'll call it entry equals, and I'm going to create uh, oops, a new list. What I'm going to do is kind of replicate the contents of the CSV file, but I'm going to do it as a piece that goes through. And so um, our CSV file was, I think, the location first, right? So row uh, zero, let me do this on multiple lines so it's easier to see. So I'm creating a new list. The first element in the list will be um, the location. And then we'll say row one, because I'm going to keep the order in this case the same as it is in the CSV file. And we'll say row uh, two. So I'm just building a, a an entry for that row. <clears throat> and then once I have an entry, I'm going to go ahead and add that entry to my kind of macro list here. So what I'm creating is a list. And then inside of that list will be another list. And, and I'll say um, devices list dot append. Append is how you add something new to a list inside of Python. And I'm going to say append device entry and go through. And then we'll get rid of all the printing bits. And so this is going to say, so inside again, we're going to go ahead and open up and read in our CSV reader. We're then going to say devices list, create a new empty list. And then for every row in the CSV file, we're going to create a new entry with that kind of just replicates the row. And then we're going to append it out. And so at the end of this, I should end up with a new list called devices list that is a list of lists of the devices, kind of just replicating the CSV. I realize as I say that, it, it sounds kind of probably quite confusing, but let me go ahead and run my code and see if it works. And it did. And so if I do devices list, devices list, we can see now I have a list. So I actually have a list here. We can see the outer square brackets. And then each element in the list is another list that contains router one and all the, so on as it goes through. All right, pause for a second. Ask the questions, David. Make, let's make sure that that makes sense and I didn't do anything that's that seems super black magic-y. Yeah, so if you printed device entry with that, what would that show us? Ah, what do you think it'll show us? Well, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly. It looks like, I think it'll be exactly that without the two extra brackets at the end, perhaps. Sorry, at the beginning and the end. Yep. So, so if we look inside, so device entry for every time it goes through a row, it creates device entry for the row. And so if we think about it, it should be kind of the last entry that we had. And in fact, that's what it is. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, why did you divide? Why did you create device entry and devices list? But that makes sense now. Because you because the every time you go through that loop, that, you know, for row, um, as you've shown there nicely, it's overwriting the device entry, mm -hmm. but you're adding it to the devices list. So that makes sense. Absolutely. And there we could have I could have written this without the device entry variable and just done like a direct append. But sometimes less code is, is more complicated to understand. Yeah, I often will, will do things and throw these in Python, something like this is pretty efficient, it doesn't slow the code down that much. Um, or I don't think noticeably at all um, for the types of stuff we do. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not like we we're running this at scale with millions of users. It's only us. So yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so we now have um, a list called devices list, right? And it contains our devices. So now what we want to do is, hey, is there, could we use a way to create a CSV file out of this? And so we have CSV reader, 
And if I go back and remember that dir function, which will tell us everything we, we know about the CSV library or what the CSV library offers us, it has a writer function. So we've been using reader, it also has writer. And so I should be able to use the writer to actually create that. Now what I don't know is exactly what the syntax for the writer is. And so Python, like it has dir as a built-in function we can use, it also has a help function. And so I can say, give me some help on csv.writer. And this accesses the built-in help capabilities for this. And it says, okay, CSV writer, you have to give it a file object. And then you have to, uh, and this kind of gives you an example how it goes through. So you create a new CSV writer, so based on a file, and then these things in brackets are optional. So you could tell it, hey, this is an Excel um, specifically or, or different arguments, but we can, all it needs is a file object. And then you say for row in sequence. And so then we just write a row. Right, that seems pretty straightforward. Um, or there's also CSV writer, and then there's write rows, and so you could actually just kind of give it a bulk rows. So this, oops, this seems pretty efficient to go in. So I'm actually going to use this little help kind of piece to to write us a bit of code over here. And so we'll say we're going to create a um, we need a new file object. So we'll actually create a new file. So we'll say with, uh, we'll say, oops, open, and we'll say a new CSV dot csv as f because um and i'm using f in this case because it's kind of like python general kind of uh, i don't want to say best practices but kind of what you'll often see is the use of the, the the letter f to represent my mouse is gone to represent um kind of file objects so i'm going to say okay we're going to open up a new file as f and so that'll give me the file object and then i need a csv writer so we'll say csv and again, I'm just using everything that's out of that little help block. So we'll say CSV writer equals CSV dot writer. It needs the file object, which in this case is just F. And then we'll use the shortcut one here because we have our, our list of lists. That's our devices list. And so I should be able to just do CSV writer uh, dot write rows. And then we give it our devices list. Let me look at that again. That looks right, with one exception. The, the open function that's built here, the default behavior of the open function is to open a file for read access. So if I just run it this way, and then I try to write into a file, I'll get an error, because the file was only open kind of with uh, read privileges. What I need to do is I need to write it as open it with write privileges, and that's the W keyword. R would be read, A is actually append. The difference between write and append is write opens the file up and is going to start writing from the top, kind of create a brand new file. Append would add content to the bottom. And so if I was actually adding devices to an existing list, we would use append. If I want to create, in this case, a new one, we'll use write. And so I've got that that's in there. Oops, I don't actually want to save the file. All right, I'm going to copy that. Before I run it, uh, David, any questions, thoughts uh, over my shoulder? I, I give it like 50-50 chance whether this actually runs correctly the first time. <laughs> There's more chance because you wrote it rather than me. But I, I was just thinking, you know, it's so nice to see you explain this stuff um, because for a lot of us, you know, just uh, what I would consider a lot of like hardcore programmers would think is very basic. But for a lot of us, it's, you know, th this is the stuff we need to learn. So it's great to see. 
Well, it's one of those cases, and I don't want to say this isn't basic pieces, but these are fundamental pieces that, that to get into development, back to our discussion at the beginning, right? We're becoming developers, but there are fundamental basic skills to being a developer that if you didn't go through some of those kind of comp computer science one-on-one classes, you didn't pick them up. And I always uh, attribute stuff like these these pieces to things when you're getting into networking and you have to learn what the difference between a hub and a switch is. Right. If, if we were sitting on a video kind of explain that as part of a CCNA um, 101, we'd all kind of understand that that's there. And I think this is the same type of pieces, right? These are the the network developer 101 types of bits. Like we have to understand kind of how this context goes in. We need Cisco to create a CCDA, but that's taken already, but some kind of developer associate certification. That would certainly be pretty cool, it would be. Um, and we'll have to we'll have to see what happens. Like yeah. who knows? Cisco yeah. is certainly getting serious in the the programmability space, and we've been adding new um, material around programmability training, kind of all over the place, inside DevNet, uh, outside DevNet, all over. So who knows what the future will hold? Uh, for now, until then, we've got uh, we've got our videos, right, David? That's right. Absolutely. All right. So I went ahead. I quit out of the help with just the Q key, the Q key is what I hit to quit the help. And so now, uh, without further ado, let's go see how my code goes. And so I pasted in the open that's there, and I'm going to hit enter a couple of times. All right. So I didn't get any errors. That's a good sign. And I also saw out of the corner of my eye a new file popped up, though it's probably really small on the video. And so. I do. So let's do this. I'm actually going to, I'm going to leave the IPython here, but I'm going to go ahead and jump into the same directory in this other terminal so we can take a look at that file with a at, just to see what's there and kind of what we see. So let me get into the right directory. CD, um, I think it's data. Yep. And then CSV. All right. All right. So what was created, I got your little video window here out of the way. Let me move it. We have, remember we tried to create a file called new CSV and indeed I have an, a file called new CSV.csv that's there. And I will say, we'll just, we'll stick in the terminal here. Uh, I'll clear out and I'll say, show me what's in that CSV file. CSV, uh, nope, that's not what it's called. It's called new CSV, new CSV. And lo and behold, it's, it's exactly kind of what we would expect. We've got router one comma IP address, New York, Denver, Austin, all the pieces are there. That's right. So we've now got our bit that's, that's It wasn't 50-50, it was more like 99, because you wrote the code, Hank. Nah. No, no, <laughs> I, I didn't see any syntax errors, so I was feeling pretty good, but I always like to kind of uh, aim low and then, then be surprised when things are, are better than expected. That's great, I mean, um, I, I know you wanted to say something, but then I've got a question, or another ask after you afterwards. Oh. Well, what I want to do actually is kind of show some of the, the differences that are there. Yeah. And so as I mentioned, the, the W that's here is write access. And so we're writing the file as it goes in. So if I rerun this command, so if I just go back in and I rerun that entire same block. You just press up I'll key, though, did you? Yeah, I just press the up key. Yep, up key to go through. So now when I take a look at the, the contents of this file now, we'll see it's it's exactly the same that's there. So we didn't add to it. But if I go in and I'm going to edit our text from W to A and make it up. See, you're ahead of me because I was going to ask you, how can we add something to this file? So mm -hmm. this is great. Yeah, so the A is it tells the open. I don't want to rewrite it. I don't want to basically create the file, delete anything that's in it, and then write it. I want to append it to it. I can't remember if I copied or not. So I'm going to, oops. I'm going to copy, and then I'm going to paste over here into I as it goes through. 
And so now I appended to it. And so what we should now see is when I take a look at the contents of the file, we should actually see that contents twice because we kind of appended the same data twice. And in fact, that's what we see is we saw our first bit and then we went ahead and we appended the new pieces that are there. And so depending on what you're trying to do, it, you may want write or you may want append. It's just kind of knowing the difference that's there. Now I did mention the fact that if I didn't put in the W, it would error and I'll just, I'll show that to you here. So I'm gonna go ahead and say, we'll get rid of anything that's there because the default is R for read. And if I try it now, I should get, and I did, I got a, an, uh, Python raised, the CSV library raised an error called unsupported operation. And whoever wrote the CSV library gave us a fairly good error message, not writable, right? We tried to write to a file that doesn't have writable status. And so that's why we get the not writable flag. And that's why it's important to have the W or the A, depending on what it is you're trying to go through. So I keep hitting the save and that's not what I want to do. <clears throat> go ahead and put this over here. And so now I was able to rerun it again. This time I ran it with W. So when I take a look at the contents, I'm back to just three because it overwrote what we had before. And I think we kind of went through the, the life cycle of that one. Make sense? Yeah, that's great. I mean, I was just thinking of what kind of other questions guys would ask perhaps about CSV files, but I think you've kind of covered it. Uh, I, I was waiting for you to ask a question, but you, you didn't even go there, but we can certainly, I'll, I'll throw it at you. Um, the, the question that often comes up is, this is great, Hank. Um, you've got three columns in your CSV file. Uh, what if it's more, and what if I've got headers? <clears throat> yeah, that's a good so one. Look at our, yeah, I was gonna ask we'll you, so like, could you prompt the user to add more data? Because all you did there was open a file and then rewrite it. But is there a way to like prompt a user for like router IP? place oh. and then write that to the new file or add that yeah, append yeah. that to the file we absolutely can so you, do you want to see that we yeah that'd be that great instead yeah. of the just to show pieces. that you're not just opening a file and then rewriting it you actually mm -hmm. getting data somewhere else because the th the way i'm thinking about this is someone would perhaps tell me to a router get some data back and then they'd want to mm -hmm. add that to the existing file so, so we'll, I'm going to write a new script that kind of does those types of pieces. There, there's a couple of um, ways we could kind of tackle this. We could ask, we could have the, the script run and then ask the user, hey, what device do you want to go through? And like, literally, you just type at the command line and provide input. Um, or we could go, it'd be, that's an easier one to go through, but you could use that same thing. Rather than asking the user, you could um, provide, uh, you could pull that information out of a device as it goes in. Let's, as I was talking through, let's start with just ask the user because that's kind of a simpler. Yeah, perhaps simpler on another call, we can do something when you more, you know, mm -hmm. when you've had more time to get things, because this was very much on the fly. Um, yeah. Perhaps no, Telnet, sorry, SSH to your um, DevNet router and pull something out and yeah, write that yeah, to a CSV or something. All right, so I'm gonna write a new script. We're gonna say, uh, well, first thing we're gonna do is we gotta tell the user what we want them to do, right? So we'll say print, uh, and we just use print because that's how we, we send stuff to the, the terminal. And so we'll say print, uh, let's add a new router. And then I'll say, uh, what uh, is the host name? And then what we need to do is, is we need to get input from the user. And it, luckily enough, Python has a function called input and you give, um, the input, uh, the the prompt to go through, and actually, as I as I'm going through that, there's actually an easier way to go through. So I can actually go. I'm gonna instead of putting in a print statement, I'm gonna say input 
what is the host name? And then what we do here is we need we want to save that as some variable. So we're going to say host name equals input what is the host name. And so I'm actually going to um, since we're live coding this, I'll show you how the process just to make sure that these do what I think it's going to do is I can actually run these kind of in IPython. So the print one should be pretty straightforward, but just to kind of prove it out. So we'll print. So indeed, that does say let's add a new router. And then if I go through and run, I don't want both. I just want the one. We'll run this host name command. And we'll see, it gives me a prompt that says, hey, what is the host name, question mark, and then gives me the ability to enter something in, and I'll say uh, test host. And so now, host name should be the value of whatever I inputted. And so indeed, if I check host name, we'll see the value is test host. And so this gave me the ability to ask for some information and then save it. Now, as a developer, I look at this, I don't like this here, right? Question mark, and then it's right into that spot. So I'm gonna go into my input and say, you know what, throw an extra character uh, after the question mark as it goes through. We'll rerun that. And so, oh, that's, that's a little better. Now I've got a space at least. It's not gonna be just run up, but I will say test host two, check the value of host name now, and we'll see it is still test host two. So we're good. So I feel pretty good that I'm able to get the host name out of it. Does that make sense? Questions? You know, that's great. I mean, it's nice to see you code on the fly and it's nice to see you, you know, fix it as we go along. All right, so IP equals input and we'll say, what is the IP address? And then we need a location. So location equals input. What is the, is the location? All right, so now this is gonna give us three variables that represent those bits. And so now we need to create our new device. And so we'll do device uh, equals, and then we need a list, right, that goes through. So the first bit of the, the first part of the list was, what is our order, is uh, host name. So we'll do host, host name, and then it is IP, and then finally location. Right, so this will create so this will create a new um, list where the first element in the list is the hostname, the second one is the IP, and the third one is the location. And then once that's done, now in this case we want to open up new CSV again. We don't want write because write would again overwrite what's in there. What we want is append, and then we don't want to write all the rows. We actually just want to write one row. So I'm going to come back and actually grab our help message again. So help. CSV writer, and to do one, it was write row. So not write rows, kind of pretty straightforward, write row, and then not device list, just device. Okay, I got all that in there. All right, so I'm gonna save this script. So we'll say data manipulation, CSV, and we're gonna call this add router dot goodbye. So I now have added my new uh, script that's here as it goes in. All right. Now, before I can run this script, there's a few things that we actually have to do to make a script file executable. So let's say we wanted to put this out there and kind of give it to our entire operations team to add new things into our, our piece. And so what we'll do is we're gonna say, um, the first thing is we have to add what's called a shebang line to the script file. Now the shebang line is something that's not unique to Python scripts. It's actually just kind of a Linux or Unix and bash scripting thing, where the first line in a, in a script function needs to instruct the interpreter or the shell that you're running it in, what, um, what program, what, what is the, uh, the language or how to actually run this script file. 
And so we're going to do that by adding in what's uh, called the typical, um, and I never can remember the syntax off the top of my head, so I'm going to cheat and just copy it from another file. But we're going to add in the interpreter for Python. And so here we say the shebang line, and the hash symbol is the, the kind of the, the fairly universal comment. And then the exclamation point is why, why we call it shebang. So the hash symbol for sh exclamation point is often called the bang symbol and uh, out there. So if people are wondering where, why shebang, we got shebang. And then we can see we want to run this using Python, but specifically we want to use whatever the, the active um, version of Python is. And hopefully this is going to be readable on the video. But user bin env is how you can actually access the environment variables um, uh, that are active on your on a computer. And so this is saying, hey, go check the, the current environment for whatever, in this case, the virtual environment, the virtual Python environment that's active. And so this is usually considered the, the best way to do a shebang line for Python. The alternative being where you could say you could hard code to a specific kind of Python um, executable path that's on your workstation. But then you wouldn't necessarily be connected to the version of Python, let's say Python 2 or 3, or where you have all the libraries that your script needs. So generally, the, the way to do a shebang line for Python is, is exactly what's here. User bin env and then Python as it goes in. Um, the kind of little bonus topic there, but does that make sense, David? Any questions on that? No, it just, it just makes me think about some of the discussions we've had before that really network engineers need to learn Linux. We had that whole yeah. discussion about basic <laughs> exactly. skills. Linux is just one of them. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. All right. So I've added the shebang line. That's step one. Step two is we actually have to make the file executable, which kind of ties directly back into what you were just saying, kind of basic bash pieces. And so if I look at this new add router um, script, we can see it here. The, out here on the side are what are called kind of the, the attributes or the permission flags. And we can see that this file, add router, is read, write, rw. And this these first three indicate whoever owns the file. And that, in this case, is me, H.A. Presto. The second three are um, the permissions for the group. And so in this case, the group is staff. And this, anybody that's in the staff group has the ability to read it. And then this last three indicate everybody else, right? And they can also read it. Now, I want to make this file executable. And the X flag is actually this third position that's there. And so here in bash, I'll use the chmod command and say plus X. I want to add executable permissions to add router.py. Go ahead and do that. And now if I do LL again, we can see the permissions now show read, write, executable for owner. Anybody in the group can also execute it. And then just anybody can execute it. The X says it's executable. And then when I did my directory listing, I turned on with uh, colorization. And so here we can see it's red to indicate that it's an executable file as it goes through. With all that done, now I should be able to execute this file with dot slash add router.py. And let's see how it goes. So it says, let's add a new router. Uh, we need a host name. And we'll call the host name, we'll call this David's router. IP address, uh, we'll say it's uh, 192.168.76.1. And the location, we'll call this UK. Oh. Oh, but I got an error, which I didn't even plan for, but is a great, uh, great example of debugging and troubleshooting. So name error, name CSV is not defined. Oh, you didn't import CSV, so, did you? That's exactly what it that's is. That's great that you made that mistake. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 
didn't even do it on purpose, but there we go. So here, it, and what's nice about troubleshooting this is it says file, add router, so it's my script on line 15, right? So if I go over here and look, line 15 is here. I'm trying to use the CSV object, but as David already mentioned, we didn't import it. So up here at the top, I need to import CSV, CSV. Now we'll rerun it and see how we go. Hostname, David's router, IP address 182.168.76.1, and location, UK. All right, so no errors. And so now if I go ahead and we look, we'll do a cat on, uh, what do we call it again? New CSV.CSV. There it is. David's router has been added to the bottom. If I rerun it, and I'll say, well, this time we'll call it a Hank's router. 192.168.45.1, and we'll call this one Ohio. Check our contents, and here now we have the Ohio router. And so we've quickly added uh, kind of a new basic script to add to the bottom of the CSV. Awesome. Looks so easy. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. No, definitely. <laughs> so Hank, I think we're running out of time, are we? I was just going to say, we spent a ton of time on CSVs, but to your point, I mean, this is, this is, I think, an important topic for network engineers. We're always dealing with spreadsheets and the bits, whether we're reading and writing. And so we kind of went through the basics to, of, of those capabilities here as it goes in. So I think it was a good video. Yeah, I think, I mean, if, if, if everyone can provide feedback, you know, do you like this kind of like on the fly stuff? I think it's really nice to see Hank do this, you know, stuff on the fly. But what do you think? And um, we're thinking of doing like a CSV where we um, get information from a router, pull it back, and then store it in a CSV. Would that be of interest? You know, what other topics would you like, Hank, to talk about? Let us know. So, Hank, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, thanks so much. Really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. Thanks, thanks again. Yeah, absolutely, David. And uh, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. We've actually got the next one on the schedule, but uh, folks will have to stick around and, and stay tuned for whatever our topic happens to be on that one. Yeah, brilliant. Look forward to it, Hank. Thanks so much. Thanks, David. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. Be sure to visit David's YouTube channel at David Bumble, where you can subscribe and watch all of his videos. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Catch you next time on the David Bumble Networking Podcast. All the best. Take care.